This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Tesco. Thanks for joining me on this regular digital journey back in time to the 15th and 16th centuries. When many people think about the Renaissance in England, they immediately think about Henry VIII or Elizabeth I, who makes many appearances at Renaissance fairs throughout the country. But the dynasty came to power with Henry VIII's father in 1485 on a field outside the town of Market Bosworth, with Henry Tudor claiming a Lancastrian victory against Richard III in the Wars of the Roses. The Wars of the Roses was a complex series of battles and civil wars fought on and off for over 80 years in the 15th century between the houses of Lancaster and York, and really would need an entire podcast series devoted to them. The name comes from the badges that each house wore, a red rose for the Lancastrians and a white rose for the Yorkists. The roots of the conflict have been studied for years, but very simply can be broken down to include the following. Both houses were direct descendants of King Edward III, who wound up having a lot of children in the mid-14th century, whose descendants were all pretty power-hungry, and the population at large was restless. Mix with that the ability for lords to raise their own private army, and you set the stage for generations of fighting and skirmishes, which finally ended when Henry Tudor took the throne and managed to hold on to power for almost 25 years before dying in 1509. Henry Tudor was the son of Edmund Tudor and Margaret Buford, and was born in 1457. He married Elizabeth of York in 1486 in an effort to bring together the houses of Lancaster and York, and she bore him four children, Arthur, Henry, Margaret, and Mary. Now, I know there are going to be a lot of names mentioned here, and it might get confusing, I'm trying to simplify it as much as possible and still hit the major points of the story. So bear with me as we go through Henry's genealogy. Henry's claim to the throne was tenuous, and though he spent much of his reign playing up his royal heritage, there were many nobles who had better claims to the throne, and Henry really gained power through personal battle. 
Henry was descended from John of Gaunt, the third son of Henry of Edward the Third, who lived a hundred years before, in the mid thirteen hundreds. John of Gaunt had a mistress, Catherine Swinford, and it is through Catherine that Henry the Seventh is descended from John. Henry's mother, Margaret Beaufort's ancestor, was John Beaufort, who was born illegitimately. However, the story of John and Catherine is definitely a love story that went on for decades, and John eventually married her, and their children were eventually legitimized by Richard II. But a clause had been inserted into the document forbidding any Beaufort from claiming the throne. Many who were against Henry VII tried to remind Parliament of this hundred-year-old clause prohibiting the Beauforts from claiming the throne, but Henry and his supporters conveniently forgot about it. Henry's father was Edmund Tudor, also an illegitimate child, as he was the half-brother of Henry VI. Edmund was born of an illicit union between Queen Catherine widow of Henry V and Owen Tudor, her Welsh clerk of the wardrobe, which was quite a scandal in itself. The Queen had at least three illegitimate children, which was seen as very insulting to the memory of her husband, Henry V. Despite this, Henry VI, her son, tried to calm the waters by making Edmund the Earl of Richmond, and Edmund's brother Jasper was created the Earl of Pembroke. In return, they both became strong supporters of the House of Lancaster. Edmund Tudor died before Henry was born, and after a difficult confinement, his mother Margaret, who was only thirteen at the time, moved to Pembrokeshire in Wales with her brother-in-law Jasper. Henry's grandfather, Owen Tudor, also a strong Lancastrian supporter, had been executed by the Yorkists, and many of the Beauforts had also been killed in the Wars of the Roses. Henry grew up and spent his early life largely in exile. He was his mother's Margaret, Margaret's only son, despite her marrying two more men, so he had been seen as a threat for his claims to the throne. He had been nearly captured and handed over to Edward IV once, but he escaped to the court in France, who had eventually financed his trip back to England to fight for the throne. Henry fought and defeated Richard III at Bosworth Field in 1485. Richard III is largely remembered in popular culture for imprisoning his nephews, the sons of Edward IV, in the Tower of London and potentially killing them and stealing the throne from their rightful claim. I'm not going to say a whole lot about the princes in the Tower right now, but a simple Google search will yield some good information on this story, which really rivals anything in any modern soap opera. The gist of it is that Richard III imprisoned the boys and had them declared illegitimate. They were seen in the courtyards in the tower playing until 1483, and then they were never seen again. No one knows for sure what happened to them. Richard is the prime suspect for their murder, but in 1997, the United States Supreme Court held a mock trial into his guilt, and he was found not guilty. Later, when Henry VII was consolidating power, he married the prince's sister, Elizabeth, to cement the peace between the two houses and also to strengthen his claim to the throne through hers from her father, Edward IV. But 
her claim could only be valid if the two princes had really died, so one would think that Henry would make a show of accusing Richard of their murder and declaring them dead. But he never did. He did accuse Richard of many nasty things, but murder of the princes is not one of them. So it really remains a mystery, with suspicion even falling on Henry the Seventh himself. But it's an important mystery, as both Henry the Seventh and even his son Henry the Eighth had to deal with pretenders who were claiming to be one of the princes of the tower, who had come back to claim their rightful throne. After the Battle of Bosworth, Henry proclaimed that he had come to the throne by inheritance, but he didn't give any details on how his ancestry led to the throne. He captured the chief male surviving Yorkist claim to the throne, Edward the Earl of Warwick, who he imprisoned in the tower. He had Elizabeth of York escorted to London and married her after his coronation, hoping that many Yorkists would accept the new dynasty from the combined houses of Lancaster and York. Elizabeth and Henry had a son nine months after marrying, who was given the symbolic name of Arthur in honor of the legendary King Arthur. The Tudor rose, which had both red and white roses, was meant to symbolize the union of the two houses. The Queen's household was managed by Lady Margaret Beaufort, Henry's mother. Henry and Elizabeth went on to have a large family, four of whom were to survive to adulthood. The birth of Arthur was followed by that of a daughter, Margaret, who would later become the Queen of Scots, and then came Henry, a second son, the future Henry VIII, on whom his father bestowed the title Duke of York, which had been previously held by the Queen's brother, Richard, who was one of the princes in the tower. Another daughter followed, named Elizabeth for her mother, who did not survive infancy. A further daughter, Mary, was born in 1498, and she was briefly to become the Queen of France. Then came Edmund and Catherine, who both died in infancy. In the spring of 1486, the new king went on a progress through his realm, and among other places he visited was York, where Richard III had, through his connections with the city, been very popular. Outwardly, at least, it seems that he was well received, but rebellion broke out in support of a pretender, Lambert Simnel, who posed as the young Earl of Warwick. He was supported by Richard's appointed heir, John de la Pole, the Earl of Lincoln and Francis Lovell, along with Richard III's sister, Margaret, the Duchess of Burgundy. Henry paraded the real Warwick, whom he had earlier captured, through the streets of London, but with no success. The rebels landed from Ireland, and the king's army, under the Earl of Oxford, met them at Stoke on the 16th of June in 1487. Henry showed mercy and dealt leniently with Simnel, who was taken and put to work in the palace kitchens. Henry's foreign policy was dictated by the need to secure the dynasty he had founded, and he deftly played the two powers, Spain and France, against each other. He married his daughter Margaret to James IV of Scotland, which would have later ramifications. The marriage connected the royal families of England and Scotland, leading the Stuarts to the throne after the extinction of the Tudor dynasty, when his granddaughter Elizabeth I died. Henry also successfully negotiated a marriage for his son Arthur to Catherine of Aragon, the daughter of two of the most powerful monarchs of the time, Ferdinand and Isabella. 
Catherine of Aragon will show up in many later episodes of this podcast, as she became a fixture in the life of Henry VIII as his friend, wife, and consort, and then his ex-wife and a thorn in his side. Arthur died soon after Catherine arrived in England, and Henry VII secured a papal dispensation, allowing her to stay and marry his other son, the future Henry VIII. We'll talk about all that later, but for now, it's enough to know that Henry VII was a pretty good deal-maker. A second pretender arose to threaten the security of the new regime. Perkin Warbeck, a handsome young man bearing a small resemblance to Edward IV, who claimed to be Richard, Duke of York, the younger of the princes in the tower. The story was that Warbeck was rescued before his, quote, brother, Edward, had been murdered in the tower and smuggled abroad to safety. He gained the support of the old Duchess of Burgundy, who supposedly taught Warbeck his role and made him very convincing. When the Duchess of Burgundy refused to hand him over, Henry ended trade links with Flanders, which showed his commitment to protecting the Tudor dynasty. Trade with Flanders was extremely important for the economy, and the fact that Henry was willing to risk an economic collapse showed how seriously he took the threat. Perkin Warbeck landed in Ireland in July 1495 and besieged Waterford. When the siege was raised, he sailed for Scotland, where he was welcomed by James IV. The King of Scots formed an alliance with him, marrying Warbeck to his cousin, Lady Catherine Gordon. Their planned invasion of England was, however, abandoned. The pretender then returned to Ireland while his Scots allies conducted border raids. He landed in England, but as Henry's army approached, Warbeck lost his nerve and fled, claiming sanctuary in an abbey. But then he had a sudden change of mind, surrendered, and threw himself on the king's mercy. Henry was also lenient with him and kept him and his wife close at hand at court. Henry worked very hard to strengthen his power, still distrusting the nobility from his experiences in the Wars of the Roses. He created the Privy Council to act as an executive advisory board and created the Court of the Star Chamber to increase royal involvement in civil and criminal cases. And as an alternative to a revenue tax disbursement from Parliament, he opened forced loans and grants against the nobility. He was skilled at bypassing Parliament and the will of the nobility. Henry never really connected with his subjects as he maintained a distance between himself and the populace. He reformed the medieval government he had inherited and made it much more efficient and modern. Law and trade became the important areas to focus on, replacing feudal obligation. Francis Bacon later wrote a history of Henry VIII, and one of the things he wrote was, He was of a high mind, and he loved his own will and his own way as one that revered himself and would reign indeed. Had he been a private man, he would have been termed proud, but, in a wise prince, it was but keeping of distance, which indeed he did towards all, not admitting any near or full approach, either to his power or to his secrets, for he was governed by none. It was into this world of pretenders and plots that Henry the Eighth was born, his father had done much work to secure the dynasty so that in 1509, when he died, there could be a relatively peaceful transition of power. But understanding this background of civil war will help us understand why it was so important to Henry VIII that he have a son, an heir to his throne, 
so that the dynasty his father founded would not fail after just one generation. Thanks for tuning in this week. Next week, I'm going to do a bit on the, pa on the pageants, music, and entertainment at a 16th century court in England. The book recommendation this week is about the love story of John of Gaunt and Catherine Swinford. I know it's a century before our time here, but it really is a fascinating story that would have long-lasting effects on the Tudors. The book I'm recommending is called Mistress of the Monarchy by Alison Ware. It is a bit heavy on research, but still tells the story wonderfully. Please also visit the blog where you can email me episode ideas and general comments. The address is http colon slash slash englandcast.blogspot.com. And thank you for listening. Blow, northern wind, a sandal may be sweating. Blow, northern wind, blow, blow, blow. Ich hote board in Bauerbrich, that solely semis on sich. Men's cool maiden of licht, fair and freight of thunder. In all this world, licht of wonder.